A Danish prince with a propensity for prevarication. Spec Ops, short for Special Operations, the governmental departments that deal with anything too rigorous for the ordinary police to handle, everything from time travel to good taste. Bartholomew Stiggins, commonly known as Stig, Neanderthal, re-engineered from extinction, he heads Spec Ops 13, Swindon, the policing agency responsible for re-engineered species such as mammoths, dodos, saber-toothed tigers, and chimeras. Chimera. Any unlicensed, non-evolved life form created by a hobby genetic sequencer, illegal and destroyed without mercy. Saint Zivilkix, a 13th century saint whose revealments have an uncanny knack of coming true. Superhoop, the World Croquet League finals, usually violent, always controversial. Lola Vavoom, an actress who does not feature in this novel, but has to appear in the dramatist Personi due to a contractual obligation. Minotaur, half-man, half-bull, son of Pasiphae, the Queen of Crete, escaped from custody and consequently a page-runner, whereabouts unknown. Chapter 1 A Cretan Minotaur in Nebraska from the Juris Fiction Chronicles, by Thursday next. Juris Fiction is the name given to the policing agency inside books. Working with the intelligence-gathering capabilities of Text Grand Central, the many prose resource operatives at Juris Fiction work tirelessly to maintain the continuity of the narrative within the pages of all books ever written. Performing this sometimes thankless task, Juris Fiction agents live mostly on their wits, as they attempt to reconcile the author's original wishes and reader's expectations against a strict and largely pointless set of bureaucratic guidelines laid down by the Council of Genres. I headed Jurisfiction for over two years and was always astounded by the variety of the work. One day I might be attempting to coax the impossibly shy Darcy from the toilets, and the next I would be thwarting the Martian's latest attempt to invade Barnaby Rudge. It was challenging and full of bizarre twists. But when the peculiar and downright weird becomes commonplace, you begin to yearn for the banal. The Minotaur had been causing trouble far in excess of its literary importance. First, by escaping from the fantasy genre prison book, Sword of the Zenobians. Then, by leading us on a merry chase across most of fiction and thwarting all attempts to recapture him. The mythological half-man, half-bull, son of Queen Pasiphae of Crete, had been sighted within Riders of the Purple Sage only a month after his escape. We were still keen on taking him alive at this point, so we had darted him with a small dose of slapstick. Theoretically, we needed only to track outbreaks of custard-pie-in-the-face routines and walking into lamppost gags within fiction to lead us to the cannibalistic man-beast. It was an experimental idea, and sadly, also, a dismal failure. Aside from Lafer's celebrated mention of custard in All's Well That Ends Well, and the ludicrous four-wheeled chaise sequence in Pickwick Papers, little was noticed. The slapstick either hadn't been strong enough or had been diluted by the book world's natural disinclination to visual jokes. In any event, we were still searching for him two years later in the Western genre, among the cattle drives that the Minotaur found most relaxing. 
and it was for this reason that Commander Bradshaw and I arrived at the top of page 73 of an obscure pulp from the 30s entitled Death at Double X Ranch. What do you think, old girl? asked Bradshaw, whose pith helmet and safari suit were ideally suited to the hot Nebraskan summer. He was shorter than I, by almost a head, but led age-wise by four decades. His sun-dried skin and snowy white moustache were a legacy of his many years in colonial African fiction. He had been the lead character in the 23 Commander Bradshaw novels, last published in 1932 and last read in 1963. Many characters in fiction define themselves by their popularity, but not Commander Bradshaw. Having spent an adventurous and entirely fictional life defending British East Africa against a host of unlikely foes and killing almost every animal it was possible to kill, he now enjoyed his retirement and was much in demand at jurisdiction, where his fearlessness under fire and knowledge of the book world made him one of the agency's greatest assets. He was pointing at a weathered board that told us the small township not more than half a mile ahead hailed by the optimistic name of Providence and had a population of 2,387. I shielded my eyes against the sun and looked around. A carpet of sage stretched all the way to the mountains, less than five miles distant. The vegetation had a repetitive pattern that belied its fictional roots. The chaotic nature of the real world that gave us soft, undulating hills and random patterns of forest and hedges was replaced within fiction by a landscape that relied on ordered repetitions of the author's initial description. In the make-believe world where I had made my home, a forest has only eight different trees, a beach, five different pebbles, a sky, twelve different clouds. A hedgerow repeats itself every eight feet, a mountain range every sixth peak. It hadn't bothered me much to begin with, but after two years living inside fiction, I had begun to yearn for a world where every tree and rock and hill and cloud had its own unique shape and identity. And the sunsets, I missed them most of all. Even the best described ones couldn't hold a candle to a real one. I yearned to witness once again the delicate hues of the sky as the sun dipped below the horizon, from red to orange to pink to blue to navy to black. Bradshaw looked across at me and raised an eyebrow quizzically. As the bellman, the head of jurisdiction, I shouldn't really be out on assignment at all, but I was never much of a desk jockey, and capturing the Minotaur was important. He had killed one of our own, and that made it unfinished business. During the past week, we had searched unsuccessfully through six Civil War epics, three frontier stories, 28 high-quality westerns, and 97 dubiously penned novellas before finding ourselves within Death at Double X Ranch, right on the outer rim of what might be described as acceptably written prose. We had drawn a blank in every single book. No minotaur, nor even the merest whiff of one, and believe me, they can whiff. A possibility? asked Bradshaw, pointing at the Providence sign. We'll give it a try, I replied, slipping on a pair of dark glasses and consulting my list of potential minotaur hiding places. If we draw a blank, we'll stop for lunch before heading off into the Oklahoma Kid. Bradshaw nodded and opened the breech of the hunting rifle he was carrying and slipped in a cartridge. It was a conventional weapon, but loaded with unconventional ammunition. 
Our position as the policing agency within fiction gave us license to access to abstract technology. One blast from the eraser head in Bradshaw's rifle and the Minotaur would be reduced to the building blocks of his fictional existence. Text and a bluish mist. All that is left when the bonds that link text to meaning are severed. Charges of cruelty failed to have any meaning when at the last beast census there were over a million almost identical minotaurs, all safely within the hundreds of books, graphic novels and urns that featured him. Ours was different. An escapee. A page runner. As we walked closer, the sounds of a busy Nebraskan frontier town reached our ears. A new building was being erected, and the hammering of nails into lumber punctuated the clop of horses' hooves, the clink of harnesses, and the rumble of cartwheels on compacted earth. The metallic ring of the blacksmith's hammer mixed with the distant tones of a choir from the clapboard church, and all about was the general conversational hubbub of busy townsfolk. We reached the corner by Eckley's livery stables and peered cautiously down the main street. Providence, as we now saw it, was happily enjoying the uninterrupted backstory, patiently awaiting the protagonist's arrival in two pages' time. Blundering into the main narrative thread and finding ourselves included within the story was not something we cared to do, and since the Minotaur avoided the primary storyline for fear of discovery, we were likely to stumble across him only in places like this. But if for any reason the story did come anywhere near, I would be warned. I had a narrative proximity device in my pocket that would sound an alarm if the thread came too close. We could hide ourselves until it passed by. A horse trotted past as we stepped up onto the creaky decking that ran along in front of the saloon. I stopped Bradshaw when we got to the swinging doors as the town drunk was thrown out into the road. The bartender walked out after him, wiping his hands on a linen cloth. And don't come back till you...